Hi, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of the Ageless Science podcast, the companion podcast to the nonprofit Ageless Science. We bring scientifically minded high school students to local retirement communities to discuss important scientific topics and advances, allowing senior citizens to develop greater understanding of changes in the world around them. This episode will focus on CRISPR, which was also the topic of the nonprofit's first ever discussion event. CRISPR may be a gene editing technology which some of you are familiar with, but I'll spend a bit of time providing background information so we're all at the same place, and then I'll propose some questions that I find interesting or thought-provoking. CRISPR is a relatively recent technology developed by two women in 2012, and it led them to win the Nobel Prize in 2020. It represents a huge scientific advance with broad applications ranging from agriculture increasing crop yield, providing disease resistance, eradicating invasive species, to biological research, like helping us to better understand the function of genes, and healthcare, so eliminating disease and disability, reducing antibiotic resistance, creating COVID treatments, and more. But before we start talking about the impact of CRISPR and its applications, what is CRISPR? CRISPR stands for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats, which is a mouthful, I know. In nature, specific single-celled organisms actually integrate pieces of DNA from pathogens that attack them, and then they can use the fragments to recognize those same pathogens in the future. CRISPR is the complex of proteins and RNA, which does the cutting of the DNA fragments. Once researchers discovered how CRISPR does its job in single-celled organisms, they realized they could use it to edit genes in larger organisms in order to insert new genetic material. Let me quickly define some terms that are important to our understanding of CRISPR. First, DNA, or deoxyribonucleic acid, is the hereditary material in humans and almost all other organisms. Almost every cell in a person's body contains the same DNA, and the information in DNA is stored as a code made up of four chemical bases, also known as nucleic acids. So adenine, represented as A, guanine, G, cytosine, C, and thymine, T. A double helix is formed of two strands of bases wound together in helical formation, connected by the bonding of the two nucleic acids. Because each nucleic acid bonds with only one other nucleic acid. Adenine bonds with thymine, and cytosine bonds with guanine. These two pairs are said to be complementary to each other. Ribonucleic acid, RNA, is the DNA photocopy of the cell. So when a cell needs to produce a certain protein, it activates the protein's gene, and it produces multiple copies of that gene's DNA in the form of messenger RNA, or mRNA. The mRNA is then used to translate the genetic code into the protein. Proteins are the actual functional units of the cell. In order to complete a function, the cell must create a protein to execute that task. Genes are the functional units of heredity passed from parent to offspring. So DNA is composed of tons of genes, and each person inherits two copies of each gene, one from each parent. Finally, enzymes are proteins which speed up chemical reactions. Now we know all of these definitions, we can explain the CRISPR system a bit more in depth. There are two main parts of the CRISPR system, an enzyme which acts as the scissors that cuts the DNA strands, and the RNA which guides the scissors to the correct region of DNA. The guide RNA can be purchased or created to be specific to the particular region of DNA being targeted. Once the scissors cut the DNA, there's the opportunity to insert new genes before the cell repairs the cut. So now let's transition to the many applications of CRISPR. 
First, environmental applications. Regarding the ecosystem, we can use CRISPR to eliminate invasive species or the transmission of organism-borne illnesses with terminator genes or gene drives. Gene drives are tools which make it more likely that the edited trait will be passed on to the offspring through sexual reproduction, and terminator genes limit the lifespan of edited organisms or make the engineered organisms more fragile or easy to kill. A real-world example of this could be using gene drives to make mosquitoes incapable of carrying malaria or preserving plant species close to extinction due to climatic changes. For agricultural impacts, we can use CRISPR to improve crop traits like quality, disease resistance, and herbicide tolerance, so the need for pesticides can be reduced. When thinking about the agricultural impacts of genetic modification, I often think about all the labels in grocery stores that say no genetically modified organisms slash GMOs um, as a way of promoting themselves. Do you find that appealing or meaningful? Do you care? Should we care? Isn't the implication of the claim that GMOs can be dangerous? And what's the significance of that claim on our adoption of genetic modification? Now let's shift to the healthcare applications of CRISPR. Before discussing the healthcare applications, let's quickly review the difference between somatic and germline mutations. A somatic mutation is a mutation within the somatic cell of the body, a cell which is not a reproductive cell, which happens after conception. It doesn't get passed on to the next generation, and so its impacts are limited to the individual with the mutation. A germline mutation, however, is a mutation which is present in all of the cells of the body, including reproductive cells, and can be passed to the offspring, affecting all the subsequent generations of that offspring. So the application for healthcare, the first one is treating disability and disease. So CRISPR can be used for blood disorders like sickle cell disease and beta thalassemia, genetic vision loss, cancer, and COVID. For instance, in 2015, the first team successfully edited mutations in the beta thalassemia-causing gene, introducing correct DNA in four out of the 54 embryos. It can also be used in cancer therapies. So there's currently a therapy called CAR T-cell therapy. And in CAR T-cell therapy, scientists remove T-cells from a patient with cancer. Then CRISPR is performed in order to insert a fragment of DNA which causes the T-cell to make a surface protein that will specifically bind to that person's cancer. They can then reinfuse the T-cells back into the patient so they can attack the cancer. Even though this seems amazing, and it is, it's not a cure for most patients because of the limitations. The limitations include CAR T-cells alone, take long periods of time to produce, are less effective in treating solid tumors, are difficult to manufacture successfully, and they don't always kill cancer when they're successfully manufactured. Currently, there are trials testing the CAR-T products in patients with B-cell cancers and multiple myeloma. CRISPR can also be used for intellectual disability. CRISPR has been proven to repair a genetic form of intellectual disability called Fragile X syndrome, which is the common, most common inherited form of intellectual impairment um, in, both, in both mice and human brain cells in vitro. Also, it can be used to address antibiotic resistance. So antibiotic resistance, when pathogens develop the ability to defeat the drugs designed to kill them, may be able to be solved because it can remove resistance genes from bacterial populations. Now the risks of CRISPR, because there are many. The first risk, I would say, is genetic advantages for the wealthy. 
Statistics demonstrate time and time again that particular physical traits correlate with social and financial success. So by gaining traits considered desirable to society, newborns can be given competitive advantages before they're even out of the womb. Independent of skill level or qualifications, both men and women considered to be more attractive earn um, more salary than those deemed less attractive, and nearly every Fortune 500 CEO is taller than six feet. If the wealthy are afforded preferential access to CRISPR-Cas9, then this could widen the wealth gap and then just perpetuate this cycle of advantages. Also, another risk is bioterrorism. <laughs> Genome editing is arguably equally, if not more dangerous than nuclear weapons due to its ability to stay largely invisible until its effects become evident. So nuclear weapons are challenging to conceal, but biological weapons created by genetic editing can be employed under the radar. Genome editing was classified as a potential weapon of mass destruction by the U.S. Director of National Intelligence in 2016 in recognition of the ease at which it could be harnessed for biological warfare. The possibility that the technology could be used to wreak havoc on a population through exposure to modified infectious pathogens makes it potentially irresistible for terrorist organizations, um, raising the worry that it could become an incredibly destructive vehicle of warfare. Another risk is safety. So CRISPR's guide RNA is notorious for recognizing parts of DNA that have similar but not identical sequences to the target DNA, resulting in splicing an incorrect region of the genome. Not only can CRISPR target the wrong DNA, but as its DNA repair mechanisms attempt to anneal the cut it makes, it can create deletions of large numbers of genes or reconnect non-adjacent genes in random sequences. The repair mechanism doesn't know exactly which pieces of DNA lie adjacent to one another, potentially leading to errors and unexpected gene edits. Scientists aren't even certain of the function of 20% of human genes, so by editing the function of even one gene, a nearby gene with an unknown function may be dangerously mutated. There's also risk of causing mutations that result in serious illness or dysfunction, including germline mutations that will then affect subsequent generations of the family. Researchers estimate that anywhere from 1 to 10 mutations are required to cause cancer, underscoring how dramatic the impact of a single mutation may have on an individual's health. In addition to inactivating essential genes or activating cancer-causing genes, it can often generate immune responses, um, change the DNA in some cells but not all, and cause chromosomal rearrangements. Now, I want to propose some questions I discussed with the retirement community for you to reflect on. First, ethical and legal concerns. Is germline editing sparing future generations from suffering, or is it morally wrong to alter their genome without their consent? Another is, how do we decide when genetic editing crosses the border from healthcare and therapy to eugenics? A third, Regulations on germline editing will eventually differ from country to country, so what do we do about CRISPR tourism, or citizens traveling to other countries for treatment? Now questions about unintended consequences. Would the editing of certain diseases or disabilities lead to stigmatization of people who are living with the conditions or illnesses? For instance, there are open trials evaluating gene therapy to reverse cochlear damage, would this stigmatize cochlear damage? Now, regulation and control. Who should decide which diseases or disabilities can or should be edited? 
Most people agree that we should balance the risk against the reward when deciding whether to employ CRISPR, but as the technology progresses and the risks of using CRISPR lessens, the threshold for using CRISPR will also lessen, making it almost inevitable that society will inch closer to genetic enhancement and eugenics. So how do we create a robust set of guidelines to avoid this outcome? Scientists around the world are also calling for a moratorium on germline modifications to allow time for the world to debate a distinction between genetic correction and genetic enhancement. In this context, a correction is defined as an edit that addresses a specific mutation strictly for therapeutic medical purposes, while an enhancement improves an individual's memory or muscles or confers entirely new biological functions, such as the ability to see infrared light or break down certain toxins. Do you agree or disagree with this distinction? And if you disagree, how would you adjust it? Lastly, economic disparity. How do we prevent genome editing from being accessible primarily to the wealthy and from widening existing disparities in healthcare? Those are my questions. I hope you can reflect on this information and those questions, and we hope to see you soon at one of our events or at a future podcast episode. Thank you for listening.